0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome, all true seekers from across the globe. This is Reverend Karen L. Heasley from the Spiritual Path Church of Newcastle, Pennsylvania, in the United States. Our true seeker show covers a variety of subjects from angels to after life communication to parapsychology to spiritualism to near death experiences to meditation and a number of other true seeking topics. We are happy you have chosen to join us for this episode. And hope you find it enjoyable tonight. After our chat tonight with Nancy Danson, we will be taking calls. Now get a piece of paper and pencil and write this number down. 657 three, three, oh, six. I'm going to repeat that again. 657 one six. and guess what? The chat room's working tonight, so we actually have a chat room opened as well. So Nancy died march fourteenth nineteen ninety four at the age of forty three but voluntarily returned to human life to share what she could remember of the wonders she experienced and truth she learned in the afterlife. At the time of her death, she had been an attorney. Practicing law in a 270 attorney regional law firm for 17 years as a litigator in the labor and employment law areas and as a transactional and health care fraud defense lawyer in the health law field. She brought her training and skills as a trial lawyer to the evidence she encountered and challenged within the afterlife. She brings the credibility of a trial lawyer highly trained to evaluate evidence to her account of the answers to our most pressing spiritual questions. What is God? Who am I? What is the purpose of this life? What happens when we die? She observed this near-death experience with the detachment of a jurist. That jury of one found no evidence to support the traditional religious model of heaven. Instead, the reality she experienced was much more intricate and fulfilling. It felt like returning to a very different but familiar culture. It took years for her to recover from the breast cancer scare and trauma of having died and to assimilate the new knowledge that completely gutted my former Catholic belief system. Then the memories started flooding my mind, impacting me as though I were still in the afterlife. As quickly as I could, I committed those memories to paper, eventually publishing four books, more than 20 CDs or DVD sets, and 20 some YouTube videos to date. I have published these materials to fulfill the burning desire I felt while in the afterlife to tell everyone who would listen that life and death are far simpler and more glorious than we could ever imagine. We are not what we think we are, and our lives as humans are a tiny tip of the iceberg of our internal existence. Her books explain in plain and understandable language the who, what, why, and how, of all, of creation, comprehensive, logical model of life that resonates deeply within us as spiritual beings. Well, that's quite a lot, Nancy, and it's good to have you on the Truth Seeking Show tonight.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Karen. It's my pleasure.
1: So we both had near-death experience. Um, I just had one, so, and you had five. So what I wanted you to do is maybe tell us a little bit about the your NDs you want to talk about and what they um, told you or what you brought back.
2: The first um, afterlife experience, I call it, was, um, as you said, March 14th, 1994. That was the big one. That's the one I, I the made all one. my books on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after that, I returned to the afterlife a couple of times. And then in 2011, I got out of body and was watching surgery on me. <laughs> and those mm. some people cat- categorize those as near-death experiences. I call them out-of-body experiences but at least three times I was in the afterlife um, experiencing what we all go through as part of our normal eternal life, you know, which has various uh, stages to it. You know, like in human life, we have childhood and adolescence and adulthood and senior status. Like I am now, Mm -hmm. well, we have stages like that in our eternal life too. We have the incarnation stage and we have the stage that most people call the afterlife or heaven. Um, and that's where we incarnate from. And then after that, we have a stage where we experience uh, life by merging into other spiritual entities. Um, and then after that, we merge back into the source and are no longer consider ourselves to be individuals. So I went through all those stages. During my big NDE in 1994.
1: Wow, that's interesting. That really is. So, well, the thing that I found most interesting. Oh, go ahead. No,
2: no, go ahead, and I'll ask you. Um, The thing that I found most interesting um, about the 1994 near-death experience was it wasn't anything like I expected. I had 12 years of Catholic school education. Six years of Methodist college and three years of law school, which some people would say is the opposite of religious training. And I had these ideas and beliefs about the afterlife and what I was going to see and what it was going to be like. And it wasn't anything like that. And there was nothing that I saw, experienced, or learned there that was anything like the Catholic um, doctrines of faith that I had grown up with, and I was astonished to learn that just about everything I believed before I died was wrong, and as a result of that, I lost my faith because I didn't need it anymore. I had what I consider to be the truth, personal firsthand experience. Faith, of course, is, is what you rely on when you don't have personal knowledge. hmm but I, I, my conclusion was that our traditional religious beliefs are scary. And we are told that God is completely separate from us, that he has cast us into this place where he doles out suffering or rewards depending upon what we do, that we are required to earn our way to heaven by following inconsistent rules. And then we're judged when we get into the afterlife by an unknown standard and, but before somebody decides whether or not we get into heaven. And I found out while I was in the afterlife that none of that's true. The model that I learned, you know, what I was given in the form of knowings. and let me take a minute to explain knowings. Yeah, okay. When we learn something while in a human body, you know, we study it. We either you know, read it or hear it or we're trained on the job. We learn something over linear time, bit by bit. In the afterlife, I received everything there was to know about a lot of different topics. It was just like downloaded or implanted in my mind. And it was not as though I had learned it, you know, over time. It was as though I knew everything there could possibly be known about a particular topic from firsthand experience. And I call that universal knowledge. Because my understanding was in the afterlife was when you're in the afterlife, everybody's got access to all this information. And it just Mm -hmm. poof, it's in your mind. All you have to do is turn your attention to a particular topic and it just downloads in your mind. So that's most of what my books are about. just
1: like thought? From those knowings. Okay. From
2: those knowings. What I remember from the knowings. Some of them Mm -hmm. are complete and not complete. I mean, And when I was getting back into my body, I realized that the knowledge was slipping away from me. When we're inside a human body, the body is so dense that Mm -hmm. it just, it won't hold much knowledge, much information from the afterlife. And so it was slipping away and I was trying to memorize as fast as I could. So as a result of that, I, I know a lot about some topics, a little bit about others, but what I remember is maybe 0.00001% of what I knew while I was in the afterlife.
1: But the biggest—I was just thinking about that. The knowledge and the um, the thought process is sort of like telepathy, wouldn't you think? Or not?
2: Well, te- yes. Well, tele- I I experienced some telepathy. Um, okay. I when I think of telepathy, I think of you know from one being to another. Okay. And while I was in the afterlife, I encountered my five closest, dearest, most beloved eternal friends, and they communicated with me telepathically. And what mm-hmm. that felt like was hearing a voice in my mind that it wasn't my voice, or feeling an emotion in my mind that it wasn't my emotion. And that's different from getting these knowings. I mean, these knowings was... It was just like instantaneous, total knowledge about a subject. It wasn't communicated from anything. It was just, boom, it's there.
1: <laughs> is it the subject that's more relevant to being over there than being here, the subject? Or something you, you were t- told to bring back and talk
2: about? Well, I think, and, and this is just a guess on my part Okay. But I was a, I was a truth seeker before I mm-hmm. died. You know, I, I read a bunch of things, and I, I wanted the answers very much. And I think the very first part of my um, afterlife experience, when, you know, right after I went into the light, I was by myself. There wasn't, I mean, it was just light. You know, there wasn't anything around to see or hear or, or do or anything. And I was spending a lot of time trying to figure out what had happened to me. Because I knew, you know, while I was still in the body, I knew my eyesight had gone out, and my hearing had gone out, and I knew that I got out of my body and was standing in front of it. And then I knew mm-hmm. I went into the light. But I was trying to, like, diagnose <laughs> medically, <laughs> you know, what had happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that was going on, I was getting these downloads of knowings on topics that I think interested me at various times in my life. Okay. And I think what I got was, you know, Whenever there was a time in my life where I really wanted to know the answer to something, I got it in this first, you know, early stage of the afterlife. Okay. And then um, after having a number of experiences, I moved on to having a life review. And, you know, various near-death experiences have reported having a life review. While the life review was going on, I didn't pay much attention to it. You know, my feeling was been there, done that. I mean, I just lived, you know, I didn't want to watch it. Yeah. But my five uh, eternal friends were watching it. And while they were watching my life review, I got back my memories of hundreds or maybe even thousands of lifetimes that I had lived in various forms throughout the universe. And that blew my mind because I. Is that sort of like
1: past life regression lives? I'm just asking.
2: yeah, that's kind of what it was like. I mean, I'm uh, not saying
1: it's the whole deal, but it's sort of like that.
2: Well, you know, I don't know whether past life regression actually works. I do know that while I was okay. in the afterlife, I got I got back every single memory, every single moment of every single life I had ever lived, plus all the time I had spent in the afterlife. I had memories of all of it, and I was flabbergasted that I could have ever forgotten all that. I mean, it was... It was a part of me, you know, it was me, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember any of it while I was in human life. Well, after, you know, getting all that memory back, I was just, I don't know, I was just flabbergasted that, that I couldn't remember all that stuff and I started asking mentally questions that I wanted the answers to. And I asked, you know, who am I and who is God and where's heaven and where's hell and what's the purpose of life and why am I on earth and what's the one true religion? And I asked those questions because I wanted the answers right then and I didn't know how long I was going to be there. (laughs) So I thought, I'm going to get everything Mm -hmm. I can while I can. Mm -hmm. And so the answers to those questions were downloaded to me in the form of knowings. And those knowings completely... Changed my life. I was angry, which surprised me. I thought, you know, I'm in heaven. How can I be angry in heaven, you know? Um, but I was angry that I hadn't been told the truth by my religion and by the schools I had attended, by my parents and by my leaders. And I wasn't angry with them so much as I was angry that, or disappointed that. I felt they thought I couldn't be trusted to to know that information or that I wasn't smart enough or strong enough or brave enough or religious enough for the truth, you know, that they had to tell me myths uh, to placate me. And so I was hurt. And in response to those feelings of anger and hurt, I was shown a documentary of the entire history of planet earth from its creation to its destruction and what i watched during that documentary was how religion got started and how they evolved and where they were as of the date that i died and then i saw the future too but unfortunately i i was i didn't pay much attention to the future because hey i wasn't coming back to earth what did i care what the future was like you know so um but that's where i saw you know the creation of, um, you know the Hebrew religion and the Chinese religions and and you know all the religions of the world. I pay the most attention, of course, to Christianity, since I had been raised as a Catholic. And I was shown that, you know, none of the human religions are true. They all have kernels of truth in them, but they're sur- those kernels are surrounded by Tons and tons of mythology and superstition and fear. And I've shown that our creator has sent us messengers of the truth, millions of them over the millennia. And none of them are anybody that you ever heard of, except for (laughs) Gene Roddenberry. (laughs) I actually remember that Gene Roddenberry Roddenberry. created the the Star Star Trek series. I I was just going to (laughs) say,
0: Yes
1: okay I remember okay. name
2: because I recognize yes, him. Him. and um, I thought and he was one of the messengers but they, all the messengers were people who lived you know just lived their their normal lives but they had message in, messages in their art or their music or their theater or their writings or just in their day-to-day behavior and none of them were religious leaders and none of them were kings or princes or anyone of any great renown for their, for being, you know, religious gurus. I thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, that is it, Jim Rotbury. Mm. Yeah. That's well, and that's I, truly interesting. Um, another
2: time, oh, I, I went back to the afterlife um, while I was writing my book backwards beliefs. And I right. was just there for, I'm not counting this as a near death experience, but um, I was there for just a brief, you know, few seconds. And I, I saw books that I had read that were pointed out to me as messages of the truth, and songs, and and I remember one of the songs was by Nickelback. So Nickelback's Nickelback. another messenger that that we've heard of. Yes. Yeah, I know Nickelback. Yeah. No. And I don't remember which song it was of theirs, but that's
1: that's interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I um, At one point in time, I remembered other famous people that were were pointed out to me as messengers, but those are the only two I remember now.
1: My um. Do you ever? Um, since um, I had my near-death experience when I was five, <clears throat> but I've always felt they say that you know, from zero to six, um, you you feel like you're more bonded to the other side. And believe it or not, and I want your um, take on this. I I always do feel like, believe it or not, I'm more bonded to that other side. And sometimes I had this longing sometimes, and I don't know where it comes from, these thoughts of being wanting to be over on the other side because I I was bonded over there. Do you know what I mean, Nancy? Yes, yes. Did you ever encounter something like that at all? Uh,
2: Yes. In fact, I received knowings about that while I was in the afterlife. I was... Told that, you know, what what we call the soul is Mm -hmm. really us, is our true nature. We are parts of our Creator's consciousness that it puts into manifested things and creatures, and everything on Earth and everything in the universe is, is a manifestation. It's a manifestation of our Creator's imagination and its creativity. Just like our dreams, our dreams are our manifestations. We manifest an environment and people and, you know, and then just like in our dreams where we can, we're one of the characters in the dream. You know, we're usually inside one of the characters, usually the same Mm -hmm. character we, you know, play in in waking life. Mm -hmm. But we're inside one of the characters and we're experiencing the dream through that character. Well, that's what the soul is. That's our creator's own self-awareness inside a creation, a manifestation so that it can experience everything that's going on in the physical world. Hmm. And I was told that from the moment of conception, we are aware of what's going on around us within the mother's body, outside the mother's body. We can hear what our parents are saying. We can experience everything that our mother is going through. We may not understand it, but we are aware of it hmm. and we carry what what you're calling bonding we, we carry memories from the afterlife into this life for a period of time after birth and we feel closer to the afterlife because we haven't really become acclimated to this life you know we have to be trained how to be a human and so, yes, I think that bonding that you're talking about is absolutely there. And I think near-death experiencers have a particular, a partic- particularly strong pull uh, back to the afterlife. And I think that's why so many of us can go back. You mm-hmm. know, even though we don't die, we can go back to the afterlife from time to time. Yes. And I know that for at least two years after I came back from my 1994 experience. All I wanted to do was go home.
1: Right. I wanted to go back to the mm-hmm. life.
2: I didn't want to commit suicide.
1: No, no. I'm. But I, that's one I was no, no. homesick. I understand. I really do, because I had. That, I have the same feelings, you know. Yeah. That's a. Uh, that's the real deal there. But
2: well, the other. The interesting thing was, while I was in the afterlife, I was homesick for human life. A little bit. Yeah. Well, you would not the same amount as I was homesick for the afterlife once I got back here. But I missed um, when I was first in the in the light, and I was getting all this information into my head, and I was trying to make a diagnosis of what what had happened to me. I missed sunshine on my skin. I missed the feel of wind in my hair. I Mm -hmm. missed eating, and I really missed chocolate.
1: Chocolate. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's unbelievable. That's good. I didn't
2: miss them enough that so I wanted to come back,
0: but I did miss them. Yeah. So.
2: What when you
1: when you went over there? What was one thing that really stood out? I think for me the light stood out. I've never seen a light like that. You know how bright and just encompassing. And and when I think about it, I think about it like it was yesterday. You know, I never, I always remember it. Like it was yesterday.
2: Yeah, it's funny how human memories we can forget, but our afterlife memories are are eternal. Right? Did you
1: see anything else? Were there other buildings or anything like? I mean, colors are a lot different over there. I know that. I didn't know if you experienced any of that.
2: Um, when I first got into the light, I, I just saw the light, and it didn't. I I would call it white okay then a little bit later when i met my um before i met my five eternal friends i saw five different colors of light in the distance and i said to myself oh this is a typical danison moment i'm supposed to go into the light and i've got five of them to pick from how do i know which one is right and then (laughs) a telepathic voice came into my head and said it doesn't matter just pick one and so when i was in the process of picking one all of a sudden the lights became these beings and they were standing in front of me five of them standing kind of in front of me and to my left and they were just you know just kind of humanoid shape you know just like a lump for head and a lump for shoulders and then just straight down and they glowed like light bulbs you know they were denser in the center and then the light was you know weaker toward the surface and I recognized them immediately as my dearest most beloved eternal friends. But I I also learned in in that moment that those colors that I had seen that then turned Mm -hmm. into my five friends and the colors I was seeing in my friends, you know, vibrant auras, had names. And I knew the names. And they were in what to me was was a foreign language. And my friends had names in the same foreign language. I don't know what language it was. but had a lot of consonants in it. And I remember you know, thinking the names of the light, the colors of light I was seeing, and that to a human eye, it would all look white. Hmm. Isn't that
1: strange? I've never heard that. That's, That's quite interesting, really. And the friends, you had your five people over there that had already crossed over, correct? Your friends.
2: They were not people I'd ever known in human life.
1: Okay, Or, any, r- not, or any so physical you want life. to explain that a little bit?
2: I, you know, when I saw these beings, I felt I was home. You know, I was finally with my own people. And that's the way I okay. thought of it. these are my people. I'm, I'm finally home after a long, torturous journey. And I just, I love them so much. And I knew that I was one of them, whatever they were.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: and they, you know, they were speaking to me telepathically and they shared my life review with me and they were sending me emotions. Like the, the emotions were, we're so glad you're back. Tell us everything. You know, tell us what happened. Tell us what you went through. And they were kind of laughing at me a little bit, you know, and they were like telepathically, emotionally saying, well, you know, we thought you were the craziest choice ever to be sent to earth to be a messenger. Um, and we couldn't believe you volunteered for it because you never made a good human. And we don't know why you wanted to go back there, but since you have, tell us what happened, you know? And they were just, you know, like people on a desert Island that finally had a bottle washed up. that had a newspaper in it. you know. They just, and that's when I had the life reviews for them to see, what had happened, everything, every moment of the life I had just lived, you know, as a human. I think I got sidetracked. What was the question? Um, you said to tell I can't more remember about, it now
1: because I was so intently listening. Now, the life review, a lot of people seem like that would be a scary thing. Do you want to um, tell us how you felt about having a life review?
2: My... Life Review was, I felt kind of like I was in a big soap bubble. I mean, it wasn't really a soap bubble, but that's, you know, you know how in the afterlife we have experiences that aren't anything like human experiences. So you can't really describe them except Mm -hmm. by analogy. So I felt like I was standing in the center of this big soap bubble and one of my five light being friends was in there with me. I later surmised that that was me. When we incarnate into physical matter in the universe, only part of our energy goes in as the soul. the rest of us mm-hmm. stays in the afterlife so and I think that's why I was able to remember all my other you know physical lives was because this rest of me energy that was with me inside the bubble um, was you know had my memories, and then we just kind of you know blended together within my other four friends were like as scenes from Nancy's life played out, they were just kind of like floating on the outside of this bubble. And I can remember seeing the sky out of my cockpit window when I was taking flying lessons and afterwards when I was flying by myself, I could remember the sky when I was laying out in the sun, when I got out of college and, you know, had my first job, you know, for some reason, all these, pictures of the sky were, were coming to my memory. But my light being friends were popping into my memories and living as me through that memory. Which, and, and there's not really a good way to describe that. Uh, I experienced it myself later while I was in the afterlife. But, so they could not just watch you know, a scene from my life they could go into Nancy's body and live that scene and then pop back out again while, uh-huh. while the scene was taking place during my life. Because there's, there's no time in the afterlife. Everything's now. No, there
1: isn't. There's no time or space. So there's no past. There's no future. Mm-mm. Yeah. So no, everything's now.
2: Isn't. And so they could pop into Nancy, you know, scenes in Nancy's life right now. And that's what they were doing. Wow. And they told That's me incredible. that their, their goal was to get me ready to go back into the core of our creator, what I call source. And the way they did that was, after I had seen this documentary, you know, of Earth's religions and how they developed, um, I moved into the next phase or stage of eternal life where I no longer thought of myself as a being, I felt as though I was a mind, an intellect, and I could merge my energy into the energy of one or more, excuse me, one or more of my friends, and I could live scenes from the lives they had lived the same way they were popping into scenes from Nancy's life on the soap bubble. So I could go into you know one of their lives and and enter into the body that or the thing that they had inhabited and live that scene. And I could do that either feeling like I was me inside that body experiencing it, or feeling like I was them inside that body experiencing it, or I could just watch it. and i could I could merge into two or three. Or four or five of them all at the same time and that's what I did. I I was given the impression that I had to get skilled at this merging of energy and becoming used to what it feels like to be a collective being in order to go into the next phase of eternal life. And so I spent quite a bit of time merging into my friends and getting used to what it's like to have four or five different personalities and individualities all at the same time, and moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth between them and me and, you know, just living like that. And then they took me into our Creator. Um, The God that I knew intimately in the afterlife was nothing like a human male. It's an energy field which is why I call it the source. It's an energy source. Mm-hmm. It's a huge energy field. And the entire universe is contained within that field. And we are parts of our creator's self-awareness, living within the physical world, you know, just the same way we do when we're in a dream. But the last stage of eternal life um, is wakening to the fact that you aren't separate from source. So I went through like layer after layer of energy, and I felt like I was, all the information that I had gotten previously during this afterlife experience, I understood in far more depth as I was moving through these layers of source's energy. And I watched creation I didn't just watch it although I did watch it as an observer I also experienced it from my own memory of creating the universe and so I knew and understand and and remember why source created the universe and what it felt like for it to do so and and exactly how things formed and I saw it all I remembered it all and at the end of that experience I I just like woke up the same way we wake up from sleep. I woke up to the knowledge that I had never been a separate being. I have never been a separate identity. I have always been just me, source, pretending to be this like dream character that I was calling Nancy. And it was the most humbling and mind-blowing and beautiful, and frightening, and it, it, I don't think I could have survived it if I hadn't been so completely surrounded by unconditional love and acceptance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just blew my my whole identity. And you know, to to be there and thinking, "I'm God," that can't be right, but you know, I kept coming back to the fact that it was right. And then I realized, well, everybody is. You know, we're all just parts of one consciousness. And, of course, that blew my mind because I'm thinking, oh, my heavens, how I've treated some people. You know, if I'd known that they're (laughs) they're just me in a different body, you know. Um, You know, it was just... And I was... I felt loved and comforted and mind blown. And I kept saying, Somebody's got to tell those people. Yes, yeah, somebody's got to tell those people back on earth that this is what it's really like. And the next thing I know, I'm in this whirlwind coming back into my body. And I'm saying, I didn't necessarily mean me. <laughs> Oh my. And while I was in the whirlwind, my, my five beloved friends were saying, love is all that matters. Because I was trying to memorize everything I'd learned. And I was like cramming mm-hmm. for an exam. I was memorizing and going it over and over again in my mind. And they kept saying, love is all that really matters. Love is all that matters. And I kept saying, shut up. I'm trying to remember the stuff. <laughs> and when I got back, by the time I got back into the body, you know, so much of it was gone. I fought I fought hard not to go back into this body because I didn't want to forget.
1: Well, when I was reading your bio, you said some of the memories started coming back, flooding back, and you had a hard time down here then. You want to talk a little bit about that? Because a lot of people that had have had NDEs have trouble talking about them, you know?
2: Yeah, I do know. Well, like I said, I... You know, for the first two years, I was so homesick. I was mm-hmm. just so incredibly homesick all the time. And about, oh, two or three months after I was back in the body, well, right right away when I got back in the body, I I talked to my surgeon. You know, the next week when I was in for a, a follow-up, I told him what happened, and he told me I hallucinated it.
0: Oh yeah. I
2: talked to my anesthesiologist and and he said, "Well, yeah, we hear stories like that all the time." So I didn't know what to think, and so I just kind of tried to pack it away, you know, just okay, my doctor says it's hallucination. I'll just, you know, pack it away and forget about it for a while. Well, so 2 or 3 months after I was back in the body, I was I ended up back in the afterlife. And I was before what most humans would call a council. You know, it it had the flavor of a judicial tribunal or um, some kind of judgment. And I think that this is part of the reason why people think there's judgment in the afterlife because those people who have had this kind of near-death experience where they, they went before this tribunal or this meeting or gathering or whatever it was, it does feel judgy.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
2: but I learned while I was there that um, I had taken on this mission to tell people the truth about life and death and the afterlife uh, even though I was fighting not to have to do it. Right. Um, and, you know, this this group of, of light beings was telling me, hey, you know, you came back here to tell people you ain't telling people, get with the program. So I felt <laughs> like I'd been smacked up the side of the head. And that's when my life really started changing because I You know, I realized I could not stay in my law firm and and live the way I had been living and also carry on this mission to tell people, you know, what I had experienced. And I didn't want to hurt my law partners in case I bombed. And, you know, over a period of time, I did lose clients. (laughs) People don't appreciate being told everything that they've ever believed is wrong. And I wasn't doing that, you know, directly to my clients, but, you know, they Mm. found out what I was doing. So, and it took me about seven years. Um, I left my law firm and I went out um, as a solo practitioner. And so that, so I died in March and by October 1st, I had my own law office. It was just me and my office manager. And I kept, like, passing out and going back into the afterlife. And she would find me in a heap on the floor Mm -hmm. and, you know, bring me to. And I don't know how many times I did that in those first few months. Um, But I finally, you know, said, we got to quit doing this. (laughs) You know, this is not healthy for me. Um, And I eventually did stop. And sometimes when I'd come back from those experiences, I'd look in the mirror and I'd see the face of another being that I had been Somewhere else in the universe, or I'd come back with memories from other lives, um, and so it was—it was a chaotic existence. You know, it was hard to practice law. It was—it was hard to do anything. But eventually, you know, things kind of calmed down, and I kind of got back into the flow of practicing law and—and and, you know, living a normal life. And I still wasn't telling people what happened to me. But at least I could function, you know, on a daily basis. Um, and then in 2001, I crashed. I had a lot of brain damage from um, being dead. You know, dying's not good for your health. No, and it isn't. And I had um, a lot of physical damage from it, too. And I had just been kind of like... Holding on, you know, by you know, mm-hmm. by the my fingernails to you know, a healthy life for for all those years, and then I just crashed, and I couldn't maintain body temperature or blood pressure or you know any of the normal parameters of life, um, and so I, I couldn't work. And during that year, uh, 2001, when I was so ill that. You know, at first, I couldn't sit up for more than a half an hour. And so I spent most of the time in bed. Uh, I get up just long enough to get something to eat, and I get back to bed. And little by little, I started recovering. You know, I was in my cardiologist's office once a week. I was in my family doctor's office once a week. You know, they were trying to figure out what the heck happened to me and what they could do to help me. And it was during that time that all these memories started coming back. And I started writing. So that year, 2001, I wrote 700 pages of manuscript. Everything I could remember happening and learning in the afterlife. And when I was finished, you know, I had these 700 pages. I go, like, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? Mm-hmm. And one morning I woke up. I had a table of contents in my mind that completely organized all the chapters, logical sequence. Hmm. And I realized I had three books there. And two of them I actually did publish. One Backwards Returning to Our Source for Answers and the Backwards Guidebook were most of that seven hundred pages. I mean there's only five hundred pages to them but and then the third book was about love. And when my um when I started doing, you know, workshops and speaking and, you know, working through my publisher I discovered that people didn't want to hear about unconditional love. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. People were not interested in knowing about unconditional love and what it's really like and what we can expect in the afterlife in terms of unconditional love. So I never wrote that book.
1: You should write that book, Nancy.
2: You really should. Well, I've got pieces and parts of it in um, in various books, but... I can't find the original manuscript for it anymore.
1: That's, that's, <clears throat> that's incredible. And then I met you, I, we were trying to figure out when the two of us met because when did you, did you start the near death experience group in Columbus or did somebody else? I, I thought you did. Well, there, was, yeah,
2: there was one already existing and then, okay um, and I was going to it every month, but it was um, a support group. And I wanted mm-hmm. a group where there were speakers every month. Yeah. So I started a right. second um, International oh, okay. Association for Near-Death mm-hmm. Studies group and had speakers, which I was very excited that you were one of our speakers.
1: Yeah, and um, I was very excited that when you called me on the phone, you were the first person that had interviewed me about my MD. So that was Well, good. I don't remember but now where I heard about met. you,
2: but yeah, so I, I, got, uh, I heard that you were... I've had an experience, and we're a good speaker, and that was true. You were a great speaker. Thank you. And I'm glad you I have this show. It.
1: Oh, I'm glad I have it, too. And and we have a couple callers. Why don't we see what they want to ask you? How's that? Okay. They've been waiting to talk to you. Okay, let's see what we can do here. Hi. Hello. Welcome to the show. May we have a first name, please? Wendy. Wendy, is that your name?
0: Yes, it is.
1: Okay, Wendy, go ahead and talk to uh, Nancy. Hi, Nancy.
0: Hi, Wendy. Um, Thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate it. Um, Are you also clairvoyant, or are uh, are you here to deliver your message? strictly about the afterlife?
2: I was a little clairvoyant before I died, and I still am. We all are. It's just a question Uh of whether we pay much attention to it and and develop it. Um, But, no, I do not not, um, publish or speak about anything that I have received clairvoyantly. I only uh, publish and speak about my memories, from being in the afterlife.
0: Well, it's amazing. And um, we appreciate you, certainly. Well, thank you. Um, Do you... Was there a message you give people? Um, My beloved brother, David, took his life March 2nd a few years ago. And I loved him so much. He was nine years younger than me. And I feel like I had a very, I still have a very close bond with him. And it was quite a shock. And I knew he was very upset emotionally. And I remember telling him, he shut me out. And I said, if you ever, I'm sure I sent him an email. If you ever need me, please, please reach out to me. And then one day we got the call. It was very tragic. Uh, from a high bridge, and um, uh, I miss him and love him, and, and I I have a sense of knowing that he knows what true love I will always have for him, and that I consider it a gift to have experienced my love for him, and um, I I hope that he feels that I've been a good sister and that he'll be there to embrace me when my time comes. Wendy,
2: I had the exact same experience.
0: Oh, my goodness. My
2: brother has has gotten you to listen to this show tonight. And, yeah, my my younger brother, who was seven years younger than me, committed suicide a few years ago. And... (sighs) we were very very close but he pulled away from me you know toward the end and you know i knew he was struggling and he had attempted suicide many times before and i'd saved him, but this this time he he didn't say a word and so i couldn't save him mm-hmm. and you know i there are no coincidences you know i i think we were brought together for a reason and i think that reason is your brothers sending you some love through me, oh. and I'm loving oh, you I here, Wendy. So.
0: What was I'm that for you, here. I'm
2: sorry. I said I'm loving you, Wendy.
0: I'm I'm holding you in my heart with love. Oh, how nice! Thank you. And um, I, the only thing that's kept me emotionally and mentally together is the firm belief that we will be reunited again when my time comes uh with my oh, with our beloved here yeah there, and, there's no doubt about that <laughs> none at all and and uh it, it was the worst day of my life when i received that phone call and it was i don't i cannot imagine how he could do that it was he drove his $50,000 new truck out on the bridge, the highest bridge in the United States of America. And he he stopped his truck in the middle of the bridge with the hazard lights going, left his wallet and his note. And there he had a, um, uh, a ladder. So he had it. I I must think he had it planned, I guess. And, And he did it at night, maybe so he wouldn't see the water. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. But um, it is the absolute worst thing that ever happened to me. And I love him forever, and I forgive him. I just pray to God that he never, ever puts me through this again for all eternity. Well, I'm sure he won't. But
2: I did learn in the afterlife, Wendy, that... You know, when we come into physical matter life, you know, like into a human life, we want to experience certain things. We pick a theme or a a goal or a subject that interests us about that species, and we incarnate over and over and over and over into various species in order to experience that particular theme so we can see it from all angles. And we know when we incarnate that, you know, the body that we're in is going to die. So we plan an exit strategy. And so when somebody um, dies, it is because they have accomplished their goals, what, what they came into that life in order to experience. And it may have been a planned exit. So, and to, when we're in the afterlife, you know, we, we look at human life as a dream, it's not real. So it doesn't, you know, leaving a human life doesn't have the impact for us when we're out of it that it does when we're inside a human. Mm-hmm. And so from, you know, our brother's standpoint, you know, they were a success. They accomplished everything they came here to accomplish. They were mm-hmm. partying. They were ready to go home and be happy. And, you know, and it just doesn't have the same impact Honest us as souls when we leave here. And plus, we know, like your brother and my brother, they know that the rest of us, the rest of you and the rest of me, is in the afterlife with them. So they haven't left us at all. We're right there together in the afterlife.
0: Yeah. The only
2: part that's been separated is this part that's asleep and dreaming that we're in human life.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I... I... I look forward to the reunion with my beloved parents and my beloved brother. And you know something ironic, Nancy? I read your blog, and you're an attorney. And right now I'm going through some legal stuff. And it just feels like an ironic connection with you because of so much stuff going on. I've been with the company for 10 months. I was a direct hire at a major health insurance company call center and i've been mistreated um and then when i left work on march the 9th i got into a yellow cab and we never made it to our destination we were rear-ended on the highway and i was taken by ambulance to the hospital and i had a broken back about 30 years ago and now i'm using a walker um and i've been off work ever since um they do believe I will go back to work. I was, I, I swear to you, my guardian angels were talking to me yesterday because I was supposed to go back to work Monday and it just kept nagging at me call your doctor. My leave was accepted, it was, was delayed another two weeks till the end of this month. And thank God it was because this morning I almost fell with my back and terrible pain and so it has aggravated my my previous broken back so i'm going through a legal thing because of ada and oh. this this girl at this at this sister company she hasn't responded to me in at least 11 days and even internal people have sent her emails telling her that i need to hear from her and i kept asking her do you have every piece of information from you what do you, what do you need from me and she said she's got it all well, I got a very disturbing letter from my employer last week stating you you're considered job abandonment unless you unless you complete this information by the eighteenth, which I would I never would treat a job that way. And I called mm-hmm. HR and thank God okay. she's working with me. I have I have until the eighteenth.
1: Well, well maybe Nancy maybe she can email you Nancy or something on that.
2: <clears throat> I yeah, there isn't really anything I can offer There's on that There's nothing you really can do.
1: Most of the things we we're talking about tonight is is uh, due to near death experience, but we do um, love your calls, Wendy, and and God bless you and and good night.
2: And we'll send you healing energy.
1: Yes, we will. Thank
2: you. Thank you. Karen, do you want to get the
1: other call? Yes. Hi. Welcome to Truth Seekers. May we have a first name, please? Well, I guess they're not there. Well, oh, maybe they'll okay. come back. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, – you want to talk a little bit about the workbook you did on
2: Backwards? You did a workbook
1: on there or a guide? You want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Well, that was that part of that 700-page manuscript. Oh, I, um, okay. When I, yeah. for I knew nobody would publish a 700-page manuscript, so I took most of the information – um, from the manuscript and put it into my first book backwards returning to our source for answers and tried to get that published. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, if, you know, if I never get anything else published, at least I've got the, the biggest pieces of the picture. And then, um, later my publisher offered to publish, um, the rest of the manuscript I didn't know what to call it, so I just called it the backwards guidebook. And it's just the rest of the material. I just wondered about that. that. Yeah, it was the rest of the material that was uh, supposed to be in the original book, but um, the guidebook is in a question and answer format.
1: That's interesting. And, um, you know, everybody wants to know a little bit about angels, And, and I know you did something on YouTube and you talk a little bit about angels. Can you share a little bit about angels and how this? Um, comes to volition with the NDE?
2: Well, you know, I'm not sure what people are calling angels. You know, I grew up in a Catholic church where Mm -hmm. uh, we were told that there were archangels and regular angels and messenger angels and guardian angels, and, you know, they were all like supernatural beings that were in this heavenly host of this, you know, royal court um, okay. singing Hosanna to God, you know, none of that exists. Okay. What people I think are calling angels are just folks like you and me in the form mm-hmm. that we take when we're in the afterlife, okay. know, that glowing
1: okay.
2: you know, that glowing being form. And I think when people experience an angel intervening in their human life, it's somebody in the afterlife who loves them, who's helping them out. It's not like this, you know, winged creature, spiritual being type. It's just a plain old loved one.
1: I was just wondering about that. Okay, let me try another call here. Somebody came on. Welcome. Can we have a first name, please?
2: Oh, hi. My name is Eileen. Hi, Eileen. Hi. I really enjoy your descriptions. They're very clear. And it's very nice to hear something besides, well, my pet name for it is New Age Drama. Um, Have you ever, I have not read your book, I'm sorry. But have you ever read a book called um, The Owasi? No, I don't think so. Um, Well, she was there. My mind just slipped. Okay. It's a book written in the 1800s about the afterlife and mankind. Um, And a lot of the descriptions in it are very similar to what you were talking about. And I thought it very refreshing that you weren't taking this attitude that, um, I don't know, it seems prevalent that, it's all supernatural. What you're talking about sounds very orderly, very reasonable, and very repeatable. That, you know, we are actually creations of the divine and part of it. And that was so nice to hear. Thank you. I thought it was a lot simpler explanation for life than what i had been given in Catholic Church <laughs> it, it does it sounds very practical you know yeah it makes sense there. yes I, I thought it was lovely thank you Um, I think I will have to find your book and read it it was very very nice thank, thank you, thank you so much for writing it well I can four imagine of them now but... I'm sorry go ahead no, you uh, I have four. I have four books out now, and I'm working. The fifth one will be out this year. Cool, that's wonderful.
1: And where can she I purchase really the into- books at, Nancy? Where's the best place?
2: Any Any bookstore can order them, or you can get them from Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Ah, well, if they get them from Amazon.com, they have to get them from Smile.com because that way the church gets a donation. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. But, um, when you came back and went through your confusion, um, did you find that it was hard to pick up the material life at, at all? I mean, know, I know what I mean, I just don't know how to describe it. Um, feel heavy I guess is what I mean did once you were back in your body and functioning was it just kind of so boring you weren't really interested no you you mentioned the word heavy and that's the way Nancy's body felt to me it felt like cold wet heavy clay but once I got used to it again you know I, I got used to it um no, life um, didn't have the same meaning, and I did have a hard time picking up material life, as you call it. I I lost interest in being a um, money-grubbing <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> All I wanted to do was give discounts to my clients, which wasn't good for my firm, and <laughs> And you know, one of my my friends, who uh, Bill Guggenheim, who wrote the book uh, with his wife, uh, "Hello from Heaven," he yeah, says, hello from "I've heaven. been mm-hmm. yeah." He says, "I've been climbing back down the ladder of success ever since I died," <laughs> <laughs> and that's pretty much the size of it. So, uh, so you did feel a, a strong continuity with all of life in in sharing and oneness and that stuff. Yes, I'm glad to hear it. Well, I appreciate your being there, and thank you very much. Thank you, Eileen. Thanks for calling.
1: Thank you Bye-bye. for calling, Eileen. We appreciate it. That's what
2: I enjoy it. Bye-bye.
1: I was wondering about when you said that. When you come back, the material things sometimes don't mean as much, like money or things in general. Would you, would you say that to be true, Nancy? Uh,
2: yes. But I will tell you that um, after I left my firm and was no longer driven to make money, mm-hmm. I made more money than when I was in the firm.
1: Yeah, because it came to you. Is it? It's something you talked about uh, again. What is manifesting reality? But it's sort of like manifesting. When you, you know what I'm saying? I, it, it comes to you.
2: It does. I have always been a person who, yeah, I've always been a person who believed that um, when I needed something, it would be there. And it always has. Mm -hmm. And that's because we each have the ability as part of source to literally manifest into physical matter what we need for our spiritual goals. We don't manifest cash or things that humans want. Right, but we do manifest what we need in order to complete our journeys as you know souls inside humans trying to experience certain things
1: um, When I decided to get a church, um I thought you know people wanted me to be a minister and open a church and i and I didn't. Uh, that was b that was after I went to um the group in Columbus, but I thought, "Oh, I don't know about this, you know, but actually, it came so fast, and the building manifested somebody asked me in in August to do this, and by october November, um I found the building that was going up for state auction, which was a church. And that's how fast huh. it happened
2: yeah that's that's manifesting in action,
1: mhm. And, you know, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to do it, but I guess, you know, they said, well, we got to get this one to push her on because if she waits and ponders this, she's not going to do it. And really, that's the truth. I probably wouldn't have.
2: But Yeah, I didn't even know you so had so it. Fast. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. have a um, spiritualist church here in Newcastle. Mhm. So that's what that's happened wonderful. with that. Thank you. Um what about um, basic human nature? Did we disc- I don't think we talked about that very much.
2: When I first entered the afterlife and I was, um, you know, in the light trying to make this diagnosis and missing chocolate and all that, uh, one of the big categories of information that was downloaded into my mind as knowings was that I am not human, never have been, never will be. And neither are Mm -hmm.
1: you. That
2: humans are animals that live on earth that we can choose, if we want to, to incarnate into. We can also choose to incarnate into a tree or a rock or a light bulb or a cat or dog or pig or tsetse fly, anything we want. Um, And I was given uh, a lot of information about the differences between human nature and what my true nature was as part of source. And so I was given kind of, you know, comparison items. And I was told that humans are just like all other earth animals. You know, they have no more personality or, well, I guess personality is the word, than um a dog or a cat or a horse or you know, a dolphin or, you know, other animals like that, that what we all think of as our human personality is actually our soul personality. It's, you know, the part of us that is source, that's our personality. Those are our talents. Those are, that's our creativity, our intelligence. Humans have animal cunning, manipulation, strategy, survival instinct level of intelligence. All of the smarts, you know, the book learning, the creativity, you know, the inventing things, um, all of that is source intelligence just operating through, you know, this human body. And that's why sometimes more than one person will come up with the same idea at the same time because it's all part of universal knowledge. It already exists.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: It's just a question of whether we can access it. And so different people, like I think there were two or three different people who solved the human genome at the exact same time, you know, on the same day. Mm-hmm. And that's because all that information is, is available you just have to focus your attention and intention on receiving it and then being you know be able to listen to it so and humans are also completely self-absorbed self-centered selfish as spiritual you know parts of source we are other person oriented we look for what is best for the most people we serve one another we do what's best for others and for ourselves and so that's you know a couple of different parameters there humans never mature they age but they don't mature emotionally any emotional maturity that you feel you've had or you observe in another is the soul the spiritual being inside the human gaining experience and knowledge along the way. And that's what's maturing emotionally. And, you know, from time to time, we can bring memories from the afterlife into this life. We can bring memories from other lives that we have lived into this life um, and make use of that knowledge, make use of that information. I knew a guy uh, who was working on one of my cases with me, he was an Army investigator, and he could speak any language uh, after just, four, you know, a couple days. And so he, the Army would ship him all over the world. And I asked him one day, you know, how he was able to learn those languages so fast. He goes, well, I don't learn them. I remember them from when I was here before.
1: And that's what he said. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, and there are people who, you know, have past life memories and, you know, sometimes they even, um, bring past life traumas into this physical body because that's the way they remember things. Now, I know when I was a child, the last life I had before this one was a couple thousand years ago and I was Chinese. I was a Chinese artist and I was a man. And when I was born into this body, my parents had a really hard time with me. I kept trying to color my skin yellow or tan, hmm. and I kept I'd tape my eyes so that they'd slant because when I looked in the mirror, I didn't look right to me, and I didn't know why. Was that
1: going on when you were a child, Nancy?
2: Oh yeah, well, little oh, tiny kid. Oh wow! As soon as I was old enough to hold a crayon or or you know put a piece of tape on my skin, I was doing that, and I have spent. My whole life, trying to tan my skin to the color that I think it should be, (laughs) and it won't go. Oh,
1: my. That is something. That's really something. Wow. Um, So what do you think about, people are always talking about karma and choosing physical um, um, lifetimes, but what do you think of karma in general? you know how they say, oh, that's just going to be your karma?
2: I learned in the afterlife there is no such thing as karma. Okay. That's part of that that scary human mythology religious um, underpinnings that we all have um, because mm-hmm. humans are judgmental. Source is not we spiritual parts of source inside of humans. You know we souls we're not judgmental. Humans get revenge on people who you know, harm them in some way. And so these attitudes of judgment and revenge have been projected onto our religious models because, you know, that's all, most people, the only thing that they're really intimately familiar with is human life. That's all they can remember. And humans, because they're self-centered and self-absorbed, project their own character traits on other people, on and on to other things, and they projected them onto religions. And so, you know, over a period of time, this idea that um, if you do something in this life that's bad according to human judgments, you will be punished for it, and in the next life, the next you know incarnation, and none of that's true. Now, there have been times in the past when, you know, I've read accounts of people saying. Oh, I can remember, you know, in a past life I did X and and in this life I did Y and that proves karma. Well, what that proves to me is that you are studying a theme. Like I said, we all have a purpose in coming into various incarnations to study a theme. Let's say maybe our theme is, well, revenge. Let's say, you know, as parts of Source, we have zero interest in revenge. We have no feelings, no nothing even remotely similar to revenge. And so that's kind of an interesting concept. And so we might decide as a soul that we want to incarnate into um, physical beings that experience revenge. And of course, humans are number one on the list because they're very vengeful. Um, mm-hmm. So we may come into a life in order to experience revenge. <laughs> so we will be the person Seeking Revenge against someone else Next life we may be the person Who has gotten Hurt because somebody else was getting revenge Upon us And we will come into life after life after life To see 360 degrees Of everything that could possibly Relate To revenge So that's why the lives, The lifetimes Or the memory <coughs> Excuse me the memories from the lifetimes can look like one's a payback for another. You know, so it's like if maybe in this life um, or in a past life you were murdered, in this life you murder somebody, or vice versa. It can look like they're related. They're related by theme, not mm-hmm. by any um, mechanism that imposes a punishment. There's no punishment. I mean, we were created solely for the purpose of source being able to experience the physical universe it created. So, so anything we do in the we physical come back, universe, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're doing it. No matter what we're doing, we're doing what source designed us to do. There cannot be any punishment for doing what source intends. And who would source punish anyway? We're all part of one entity. Who would get punished?
1: Well, that makes sense. And so we're down here to learn lessons. Nope. In a humanness, right? As humans. Nope. We are not here to learn lessons. We're not. Lessons. That, that's we're a not human what are we myth. here for? Tell me.
2: We are here to study a theme. Well, there are three, three different reasons why we might incarnate. The biggest okay. one, the one that's most prevalent, is to study a theme. Okay. In order to, you know how I said before, when I was in the afterlife, I got these knowings, these downloads of knowings that yeah. felt like they were personal knowledge. Yes. Where those come from is us living, learning, feeling, experiencing firsthand what whatever it is that we're experiencing in physical life. That all becomes part of sources knowledge base. It all becomes part of universal knowledge. It all becomes part of what can be downloaded, so that it feels like it's firsthand experience. So that's our purpose: is to gather feelings and the experience that go with the intellectual knowledge the source has like source can imagine what it's like to kill another creature it can't Mm -hmm. do it itself i mean it's energy you know right Um, energy yes but but it can imagine what it's like but it doesn't know what it feels like so but it can go into as a soul go into some creature in the universe and kill another creature and then feel what it like, Hmm. experience the horror of it, experience the deprivation, the degradation, you know, whatever the experience is, but that's how source gathers experiences. And that's interesting. People don't, people don't like to hear this because they don't, they all come back at me with, well, you know, what about Hitler and what about, you know, this and that and the other thing. You know, why would Source want to, you know, engage in child abuse? And, you know, Source doesn't want to engage in child abuse or be a Hitler or commit murder. Source is interested in feeling what it can imagine. It's human animals that do the horrors.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Humans are violent animals. They're no different from lions. Humans kill each other because they're violent. When we come into a human, we know that they're violent animals. You know, we expect that. We're not surprised. And it's just part of the challenge of incarnating into a wild animal.
1: I just, I'm just amazed because I've never really heard it explained this way. It's, it's just a different way of looking at it.
2: I know. That's why I said it, it completely blew my mind uh, mm-hmm. and it blew away everything that I'd ever believed.
1: Well, I think, you know, you came back with a purpose to help people and try to make them aware of these things going on. Because a lot of people, you know, struggle with that when they had an MDE. They still struggle. And it took a that, lot of I, courage for you to do that. I mean, you changed your whole life. You know, because you felt this was your purpose when you came back I'm sure. Yes. That that's something, Nancy. I mean you really did. And I admire you for that. And so I'd like to ask you with all this this journey that you've been on and still on, who would you say inspired you to go on with your work?
2: All my readers.
1: Oh, okay. Easy. No, really, readers, that's I, good.
2: I get emails from people every day, and, you know, some of them are um, critical, but most of them are just so, so supportive. And when I was going through the uh, cancer treatments, you know, the last five years, mm-hmm. I had readers from all over the world, you know, sending me healing energy, and, you know, healers from around the world were were um, tuning in to me and and sending me healing energy and the strangest thing happened when I uh, when um, when I had um, I'm allergic to local anesthetics so I I can't use a local anesthetic for any kind of medical procedure and when um, I think it was yeah I think it was the needle localization procedure Um, the way breast cancer um, radiologists normally do things is once they find a tumor, they're supposed to implant this little um, titanium marker. I don't know what it looks like because I, I am allergic to everything that's brother. So I, I didn't have that done in my case, but um, when the radiologist was, was trying to um, insert a wire, into where my tumor was i couldn't have any local anesthetic and the radiologist was like kind of freaked out that you know he was going to be doing this live
0: you know Mm -hmm. on a a person who was
2: awake and uh, aware of what was going on and so the plan that they came up with was they had a crash cart out in the hallway and they had um, a nurse who was like rubbing one of my legs because the brain can be distracted from pain if it if it's getting conflicting signals and so rubbing my leg was that was to distract me from the pain and but before I had this procedure you know I put the word out to my readers and I said you know send me healing energy well when the whole thing was over and the radiologist was sweating he said you know the strangest thing happened he said you know, it's the first time I've ever done a procedure like that with no anesthetic he said but I got to tell you, I felt so much love in this room while that was going on. Well, that was great. I mean, he felt the love from all these people yeah. sending me healing energy. They do, yeah. It's like a, and he didn't know me for that, but a he was long, so strong, he could feel it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's what they were doing for you. Yeah. And and that's great because that actually happens.
0: It does. That's wonderful.
1: And-
2: that's the best way.
1: No, it's it's really good. Well, is there anything you wanna leave us with? Some words of wisdom, Nancy?
2: Love is all that really matters. Yeah, that was that was the final word from my most beloved friends in the afterlife was, love is all that really matters. If you can Try to be loving to everyone and everything. That's, that's the best you can hope for. And I learned during my life review that trying counts just as much as actually doing. So if, you, if it's your intention to be loving and to be kind to someone, even if your body won't behave <laughs> the way you want it to mm-hmm. and you say yes. mean things or you do mean things because that's what animals do mm-hmm. you know, just just try try to be loving try to other people and not just yourself
1: I think that's wonderful
2: and, and I think will improve everyone's life
1: I think it would it would be, have like a rippling effect if everybody would do that
2: it does have a ripple effect. That's another thing that you experience during a life review is you get to see how every single thing that you ever did affected everybody else through this mm-hmm. ripple effect. And it, and part of the life review's purpose is so that you can get all your questions answered. You know, so it's like, you know, you do something and somebody else does something in response and you wonder what you know? What was behind that? You know, I don't understand that whole mm-hmm. transaction. Well, you get to see that in your life review, and you get to see exactly why they did what they did. Oh, that's you, you interesting. You get to understand, you know, all the all the whys and wherefores of everything you've ever done, everything you ever wondered about, and you get to do it from a perspective of unconditional love and not judgment.
1: That's that's wonderful, and it's been really great and wonderful to talk to you again.
2: Well, you too, Karen. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: Well, you're on an incredible journey, and it's a wonderful thing, really. So, I'd like to say goodnight to you, and thank you very much for sharing your valuable time with us. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you, Nancy.
2: you're quite welcome, and thank you for having me on, and Best of luck to you and to your listeners, and I'm holding you all in my heart and sending you healing energy and loving you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And also, I would like to thank all the truth seekers around the world for listening tonight. And until we meet again, may you be the light that helps others see.